several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly grape encounter. I came across a story that was just too good for me not to report. It was uh, interesting because it outlines, or it lists, I should say, the top 10 cities that have the classiest parties. But what was even more interesting was how many of those cities are actually affiliates of Grape Encounters Radio. It was done by Thumbtack, and we'll explain a little bit more about Thumbtack and Thumbtack.com. But I uh, I want to have join us right now Lucas Puente. He is the economist for Thumbtack. A PhD from what? Stanford. Welcome, Lucas. Great to be with you today. I'm excited to chat with you. Let's talk first about what Thumbtack is and what Thumbtack does, and then we'll jump into this party thing. I think it's it's really relevant to Grape Encounters because where there are good parties, there is good wine. At least I, I think that's fair to say. So anyway. I agree. Yeah, so let's start with Thumbtack. Sure. So Thumbtack is a local services marketplace. We have a website, Thumbtack.com, as well as Android and iPhone applications. So basically, consumers can come to our site or use our app to find local service professionals and a whole variety of industries, everything from bartenders, which we'll talk about today, to an electrician, to a lawyer, to a personal trainer. You name it, you can find it on Thumbtack. And we are all across the country. We are active in every single county of the U.S. So wherever people are living, we are helping them find local service professionals. Well, how many people are using Thumbtack right now? So on the supply side, we have over 250,000 active small businesses that are using our site, again, all throughout the country. Wow, that's a lot. And then uh, in terms of consumers that are uh, are going onto the site to find professionals? That's got to be a big number. It is a big number. Yeah, we, we don't release that number publicly, but it, I can tell you it's, it's quite a big one. So let's talk about this story because this really, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. I think it's even more interesting when we're talking about what Thumbtack does because this seems a little off your beaten path. But what the story was about is the cities that have the classiest parties. The reason for doing this study was what? Well, St. Patrick's Day is coming up, and as you know, that's a, a, a big holiday traditionally for the consumption of alcohol. And even though that's traditionally been centered around beer, we're seeing more and more that is involving wine and even cocktails as well. With that holiday sort of looming on the horizon, we wanted to look at where in our marketplace bartending re- requests are originating the most. And of course, we want to control for market size to make sure we're not just looking at the big cities, because obviously there's a correlation between just the market size in general and the number of requests. So once you control for population and the, and the size of the market, we're really curious where in, where in America are consumers requesting bartenders most frequently? These are per capita numbers then. In other words, you've adjusted it per capita and it's the number of requests compared to the number of people in that population center. 
that's basically what we do. We adjust it slightly further to account for our specific market penetration. So are you making then the assumption that if somebody is hiring a bartender, then it must be a classy party? Or how do we make that quantum leap? Yeah, that's basically it. At least from my personal experience, parties that I've been to where there's a professional bar- bartender hired are usually far classier than the ones where somebody is just serving wine out of a box or <laughs> yeah. uh, making their own cocktails. That's definitely true. Let's jump into the list here because it's really interesting. And I have to say this, and we're based in California, but the lion's share of these top, and I said top 10, I think, earlier cities. Excuse me, it's uh, actually top 15 cities, and nine of them are in California. What's the deal? <laughs> Any idea why that might be? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious thing that jumps out is just the correlation between being in wine country or near wine country and using bartenders more frequently. And even though somebody could obviously pour wine for themselves and for their guests, it really takes your party to the next level if you add in that professional bartender. And I think those of us in California, myself included, know that investing in a bartender can really be a good way to make your party more memorable and more classy. But it's interesting you see that elsewhere as well. You went to school in California. Are you a California native by chance? I am not born and raised in California. I'm actually from North Carolina originally, but I've lived in California for the past eight years. So you know California pretty well. I don't want to say who's at the top of the list just yet. But if you were to have made a guess, you know, before you actually started compiling numbers, what would you have thought? I mean, what are the, some what are some of the cities that you would have predicted to be the ones that would have this big need for bartenders and hence are throwing the classiest parties, at least we assume? Great question. I think before I did this exercise, I would have guessed there's a strong correlation between using professional bartenders for parties and household income. You know, in other words, the wealthier the city, right, yeah. the more likely they are to request more bartenders. And so then sort of the obvious candidates would be the Bay Area and San Francisco in particular, then also wealthier parts of Southern California. And then, of course, wine country itself with, with Santa Rosa kind of being the hub there. So that would be my guess going into this. And you said you were from North Carolina, but I, I would have even thought of places like Asheville, you know, a really classy town that a high culture town. You know, there's so many of them. Uh, I'll tell you right now, Chicago's not on this list and they throw some humdinger parties there. There's a lot of cities that are not on this list that I would have expected. But let's, I guess, go down to the bottom of the list because when we get to the topic, it's really super interesting. The bottom of the list is Little Rock, Arkansas. Nothing against Little Rock, but that seems like a kind of a surprising choice. I didn't know Little Rock, Little Rock was known for parties. To be honest, I, I didn't either. I've been to Little Rock and maybe Bill Clinton talked him a thing or two when he was the governor there. But I think what pops out when we get on the list a little bit further is there actually a handful of big capitals represented on the list and Little Rock is one of those. And so Interesting, there yeah. is a little bit of a connection between probably the political fundraisers, fundraisers that go on in a state capital and yeah. uh, using professional bartenders. Hey, we're talking to Lucas Puente. He is the economist for Thumbtack. They did a study, just came out of the top 15 cities for classy parties. They did it because St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Although I wouldn't always call St. Patrick's Day parties classy. I mean, people put on paper green hats and dance on countertops, <laughs> but <laughs> to each his own. But anyway, the, the basis of the study was to see how many people were hiring uh, private bartenders for parties in these different cities. And yeah, I would think that would be a fair correlation to make, that if there are a lot of bartenders that are getting jobs in, you know, at events and private parties and things like that, that they uh, probably are, uh, are are classy parties. So then uh, go, go, going up the list, you know, from Little Rock now, and I think the 13th slot is New Orleans, which uh, that makes perfectly good sense. Right above that is New York City, which I would have thought would be certainly in the top three. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that New York is on this list, but it is a little bit surprising that they are pretty far down it. You know, New York is, is a home of, it has a esteemed reputation, if you will, for, for classy parties. But I think if you think about it on a per capita basis, it helps make more sense of why 
why they were ranked relatively low, even if they did make the top 15. And just there are so many other non-classy parties in New York. It kind of drags down okay. its, its, uh, its overall quality score, if you will. Oh, no. So that what that actually happens if they have non-classy parties? It drags down the score. How do you know that uh, they have non-classy parties? Well, if you just look at the per capita basis, I mean, they certainly have a lot of requests for professional bartenders to host fundraisers or personal parties or even weddings or corporate events and so on. But if you look at that as a sort of fraction of their overall interest in, uh, in parties and alcohol and so on, it's not as great as the other part, uh, the other cities higher up on this list. So next up on the list is a city that I think most people at first thought would go, nah, but then when you think about it, it makes really good sense. And then when you think about it even more deeply, you go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. They should have been at the top of the list. And that's San Jose. We're talking about Silicon Valley, where the richest people mm-hmm. in the world live. I'm guessing some of the classiest parties on planet Earth take place in the San Jose area. You know, when you think about it and all the money that's there and all the entertaining that goes on there, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see them at the top of that list. Yeah, that's right. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about the, the correlation between use of bartenders and, and household income, because San Jose is really at the top of that list in terms of, of wealth, just like you were mentioning. I used to go up to San Jose quite a bit, and uh, I'd go up on weeknights. I would have to get a hotel. There, there are lots of hotels in San Jose, so it's really easy to get them there. But one night, I guess there was a lot going on in Silicon Valley, and the, the hoteliers in San Jose have learned that when they're busy, they can get any price they want for a hotel room. And I mean any price. And some of the, the small sort of, you know, mid-range hotels there were getting that particular night $1,200 a night for a room. And I'm thinking, wow. there's nothing but money up here. Crazy. But I, I know mm-hmm. they, they consume an immense amount of wine in San Jose. All right, we're going to come back in just a second. I want to, we've got more to talk about on this list. We're talking about the top 15 cities that have the classiest parties. And of course, classy parties mean really good wine. Uh, we've got on Lucas Puente. He's a PhD from Stanford who now is the economist for Thumbtack, which is a, a very interesting website where you can find services of absolutely any kind, including private bartenders for these classy parties, which is part of the way that they calculated these numbers. We're going to continue and work up the list. There's some big surprises there. Hey, some cities I have a lot of connections with as well. We'll return with Grape Encounters right after this. sometimes say it's the wine talking well everyone knows that wine can't talk that's why a bunch of graves got together and hired david wilson to do the talking for them (laughs) david will uncork today's story after this hi it's david wilson and if you're a frequent listener you know that i constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. 
Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get your ship right away at mmorganics.com. He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson. So if you had to guess where the classiest parties are held in terms of cities across America, you'd probably come up with a very interesting list, but you might be wrong. At least uh, if you compare your list to the list that came out in a press release that I got just yesterday from Thumbtack.com. They're a very interesting business that connects uh, consumers with service people of all kinds, including bartenders. They have an economist on staff, and it is Lucas Puente. Lucas, first of all, what was the conversation that went on? at Thumbtack when you guys decided to take on this project. My colleagues and, and I are really curious about the patterns that we can observe in our data. And frankly, it was just out of curiosity, we wonder. We started wondering where in America people are consuming the most bartenders. Uh, and so I decided to take a look and figure out what our data had to say about that. Now, there are two, uh, the two next cities. We're going up the list from the bottom to the top. Austin, Texas is one of them. San Diego, San Diego, California. They're very cultural cities, but they are cities that like to have a lot of fun for sure. You know, those are a relatively well-to-do cities and there's a lot of partying that goes on in Austin and San Diego both. Those are, as you might expect, pretty well-known locations for bachelor or bachelorette party destinations and that's a frequent use case for a professional bartender and of course weddings as well for each of those. So there's a lot of factors pointing to them being on this list. Okay, the next one up the list is the, the city that neighbors the city that I grew up in. You know, a really big shocker to me and that's Oxnard, California. You know, Oxnard's a great town. It's growing. It's really, really one of the breadbasket towns of America. It's a really agriculturally based community, and yet it comes up next on the list. Oxnard is really benefiting from its proximity to the Santa Barbara wine region. And of course, they're being right on the ocean. There's a lot of uh, vacationers taking advantage of the opportunity to have a little gap with a professional bartender. Coming up next is a city that you know also was a big agricultural area at one time in a citrus fruit to be more specific, but now it's become a pretty big town, Riverside, California. And it's an interesting town, I think, because Riverside, California is um, is really making a huge comeback. And it's a place where you can buy still a lot of acreage if you're into horses, that sort of thing. There's a lot of development going on in Riverside. There are a number of colleges in the Riverside area. While it doesn't surprise me, there are certainly a lot of other cities in America that have those qualities. Once you look a little bit deeper into the 
the data, one of the things that popped out for us is that for whatever reason, Riverside had a particularly high use case of bartenders for birthday parties. Birthday so parties. <laughs> I don't really know why, but apparently bartenders have caught on in, in the Riverside community for being used in birthday parties. Okay, that is so strange. Next on the list, it's a town that I really don't know a lot about, Lansing, Michigan. Yeah, this is going back to what I had to say about Little Rock. Lansing is the state capital of Michigan, so there's probably a lot of trickle down from the political fundraisers that go on in and around the state capital there. And then the other big factor is being right next door to Michigan State University, which is a huge institution with big basketball and football teams, and so we also see sometimes bartenders are being used for sports watch parties or even tailgates. We're talking to Lucas Puente. He's the uh, economist for Thumbtack. Moving up the list, this should be no surprise. Maybe it should be at the top of the list. Santa Rosa, California. Uh, we, we think of Napa and Sonoma. Really, Santa Rosa is the town that's, you know, sort of the hub in the thick of all that. And, you know, unfortunately, Santa Rosa got a lot better known during the fires this past year. It's a great launch pad if you're going to to explore all the wine countries up north. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I, I personally love spending time in Santa Rosa. It's beautiful, and it's so easy to kind of start your day in wine country in Santa Rosa. It's just a very central hub, and that's what we see in our data as well. You know, there's so a high degree of, of use cases for people kind of going there for a wine country vacation, but yeah. still having some urban amenities. And then as a result, that's kind of where they're requesting more and more of these bartenders. Right. Let's get to the top four here. This is the place of my birth, Bakersfield, California. Bakersfield is oil country, but it's also considered to be a much more down-home part of the country. A lot of the people in Bakersfield originally came from places like Oklahoma to work in the oil fields there in Bakersfield, but it's big ag country too. A lot of people don't get that Bakersfield has some really serious wealth there. And what's really funny is, is uh, you know, we have our Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar, which is about two and a half hours from Bakersfield. I would say from of all the places that people come from to visit the wine bar outside of our region, it's Bakersfield. People living in Bakersfield seem to have a really strong interest in having these really classy experiences around wine and cocktails, but they might not have the same amenities available to them. So they're kind of almost pushed into having private parties because they don't have as many of those sort of classic cocktail bars that you might have in a richer part of California. What's really funny is I get multiple requests to come to Bakersfield and perform and pour wine at private parties. The next two, three and two in that order, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Yeah, there's a lot of factors behind these two. Wealth being concentrated there, being relatively close to wine country, especially in San Francisco's case, there's the obvious factors really explain this. You have a score attached to each of these cities. If we go down Mm -hmm. to the number 15 slot, Little Rock, Arkansas, the score is 41. If we go to the top one, which we're going to reveal now, it's 100%. And it's Fresno, California. Fresno, California. Now, we're talking about the San Joaquin Valley. We're talking about the biggest, this is the single biggest breadbasket in America. I mean, so much of the food that we eat comes from there. But this is country. For all intents and purposes, why Fresno? When you think about parties, Fresno doesn't seem to me to be a party town. But then, you know, now recently I see that, you know, Fresno's getting these huge concerts and a lot of entertainment coming there. So I'd like to understand Fresno a little bit better because this is 
a very interesting number. And I think the people of Fresno, you know, party on Fresno. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was frankly surprised to see Fresno at the top of the pack here, especially given all the other cities in California. I did some exploring of some search data from Google. And what I found really tells the story here. And that is Fresno has really become a hub for fundraisers. And we mentioned political fundraisers and Lansing and Little Rock previously. But these type of fundraisers in Fresno really span the gamut from nonprofits to sports leagues to what, you name it. There are people using fundraisers to hire bartenders in Fresno. And that they're doing so at three times the national average. So kind of like what we're saying in Riverside, using birthday parties as an excuse to hire a bartender, that really has come to be true in Fresno for fundraisers. And wow. so more and more fundraisers are happening in Fresno as the city gets wealthier. And they're using that as an opportunity to turn those fundraisers into a really classy event. Well, Fresno, you know what? We've been with you from almost day one. Congratulations. I think that's absolutely fantastic. That is really, really super interesting stuff. Hey, Lucas, really appreciate you coming on. This is this is good stuff. I hope you have other subjects that you research from time to time that we can relate back to wine. But this is one of the this is one of the strangest stories I've done. I must say. Interesting. Well, it was stuff. a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah, it was nice nice chatting with you too. So if any of you want to see the story, the study, what's the best place to send them to? You can find the access to this data in particular at thumbtack.com slash he slash bartender dash cost. And all things data are available at thumbtack.com. You could probably just uh, Google thumbtack and bartenders, and I'm sure it would come up that way as well. There you go. We're going to be back in just a moment. Uh, we are going to be talking to one of the uh, head honchos at the Wine Institute and uh, talking about a very interesting sustainability story for consumers when we come back with more Grape Encounters Radio. The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be right back in a spit second. Oops, my bad. Make that split second. For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Hi, it's David Wilson. And if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently 
creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us. Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by the absolutely remarkable V-Spin aerating decanter. Easily one of the most captivating, innovative, and effective wine accessories of all time. This is a must-have product for any true wine enthusiast and winner of the 2018 German Design Award. It's a mind-blowing wine aeration device that creates a silent vortex inside a gorgeous crystal decanter that achieves incomparable and fully adjustable aeration in just a few minutes. Amazing to watch and amazing in the way it perfects the taste of any wine. Please take a moment to see the V-Spin in action at either v-spin.us or click the link at the top of the page at grapeencounters.com. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. We were talking about cities that have the classiest parties. I made a comment about that. And classy parties generally mean classy wine. And, you know, how do you know that the wine is classy? Well, I would contend that one way that you know the wine is classy is that it's made by a winery that is certified sustainable and that may not mean a lot to a lot of people but it really ought to and I have somebody pretty doggone important on the line right now she is a real expert and I would say pioneer in this field as well it is Allison Jordan from the Wine Institute and Allison is Vice President of Environmental Affairs for the Wine Institute if you don't know what the Wine Institute is it's based in California it's it's really an important organization, very powerful. It represents nearly a thousand California wineries and affiliated business. And uh, Allison also serves as the executive director of the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance, which is a non-governmental organization which was incorporated by the Wine Institute back in 2003 and the California Association of Wine Grape Growers. And Allison, that sounds like a 15-year anniversary to me. <laughs> That's about right. It's great to be with you, David. At least once a year, we dive into the topic of sustainability. There are some people in some places where the concept doesn't stick very well. And Allison, I want you to pinky swear with me right now <laughs> that we're going to make it stick before we go off the air. Fair I en- promise. Fair Thank enough. You promise. Yes. Do you have the power, Allison? I will do my best. I okay. <laughs> Get your mojo on. So let's talk about sustainability and what that means. I think some people, they hear that and they think, oh, does that mean organic or, you know, but that's not what it means. Right. So sustainability is a really interesting topic because it's very comprehensive. Organic really deals with soil health and pest management, but sustainability are those things, but so much more. So it's really about producing high-quality grapes and wine, but it's also doing that while protecting the environment, being a good neighbor, an employer, maintaining a thriving long-term business for future generations. And as you know, the wine industry in California is very much comprised of family vineyards and wineries, and so they are really thinking long-term. You know, when we're talking about sustainability, do you have to be organic 
to be sustainable or where is the overlap actually? So it really is in those areas of pest management and soil management. You do not have to be organic necessarily to be sustainable, although there are many organic growers who also are using sustainable practices. So there can be that kind of overlap as well. But we're really talking about moving not just in those areas, but progressing in things like water and energy use efficiency and waste management, protecting wildlife habitat and making contributions to the community in so many different ways. And so it really is this much more comprehensive set of practices that are involved with sustainable wine growing. The reason that we have you on is you guys just launched a new program. It's a really super good idea. It is an indication to consumers that the wine that they're drinking was made in a very, very, very conscientious way with great respect to the land and with great respect to the wine as well, I would say. And it has to do with a logo, a simple logo that tells you an awful lot about the wine. And it kind of reminds me of the the good housekeeping seal, you know, where, where, you, yeah, where you know that what you're buying, what you're drinking was made by people who are like incredibly conscientious about how they conduct their business and the respect that they have for the land, the respect that they have for their workers, the respect that they have for the consumers goes straight into the bottle. Because sustainable practices require such in-depth attention to detail and, and ongoing improvements that you really can look at it as a way to enhance quality as well. And our new logo is really exciting because it means not only is the winery certified, but also 85% or more of the grapes are coming from certified vineyards. And so it's this whole idea of being sustainable from grapes to glass and the consumer standing there in the wine aisle will be able to identify wines that way. Of course, there are also many that will decide not to use the logo for any reason and they might still get certified for the vineyards or winery. But for those who really want to communicate directly to the consumer, it's a really easy way to identify those wines. Before we actually went on the air, I was talking to you about something and that had to do with the producers who make these enormous volumes of wine. And I have no beef with those wines at all. You know, they're great tailgate wines most of the time. And the quality of wine in general in, in the U.S. right now is just, it's at its peak. Even those who produce millions of gallons of wine are producing some really great wines that, you know, maybe it is $3 a, a bottle. What are the chances of those wines, those bulk wines, carrying the logo? Well, that is yet to be determined because the 2017 vintage is the first year that it's available. So we do have a handful of wineries that are putting it on multiple brands. And I think, again, we'll start seeing it probably anywhere from the spring until later into the year. It really is interesting because small, medium, and large wineries are using it. It's sometimes more difficult for larger wineries because, again, 85% or more of the grapes have to come from certified sustainable vineyards. And that just may be more difficult if you're not certifying basically your own vineyards and you're relying on other growers. That being said, there's at least one large winery who's putting it on multiple brands. Yeah, and I always tell people that the volume of wine that's made, I mean, if you go California to New York and you stop in wine shops, you're going to find brands like Kendall Jackson, as an example. They're a very conscientious company. They make a lot of wine. Exactly. But they're very conscientious and, you know, the price is right on those. And there are a lot of companies out there like that. Big doesn't mean bad. Big might be inexpensive, but of course, they're taking advantage of some economies of scale that, you know, when you get to a certain point, when you become gigantor winery, you can sell wine for less. For the smaller winery, what is in it for them to become certified sustainable? I think there's a number of things, and and we talk a lot about the value of using sustainable practices in the first place, and that can be based on their environmental stewardship ethics, so it's a tool for them to do that in a really efficient way. Then there's also business benefits, things like improving quality that we talked about, but also cost savings and, again, more efficiency with inputs, reducing risk, retaining employees, because more and more employees want to work for companies that align with their values. It can also be positive public relations. And then there's also more and more marketplace interest we see both with trade and with consumers, so it's a way to respond to 
that. And interestingly, wine is one of those unique products where there's a number of programs internationally. So wine as a category, I would say, is one of the most sustainable products because of that commitment internationally as well as here in California. And so you can look at those sort of revenue, brand, cost reduction, risk management. There's a lot of things in it for them. And so some of the things they have to get over that we can help with are the time it takes. And also, of course, there's a cost involved for them. So that's why some people choose not to certify. They might not feel that they need to communicate it, but they're still using those sustainable practices. And we have that wide adoption of our sustainable wine growing program here in California. And going back to your question about the large versus small, I was thinking another interesting fact is that now 74% of all of California wine is made in a certified sustainable winery. So chances are you're actually buying wines from a certified sustainable winery. And the interesting thing is I I think if I have the number correct, and it's probably a growing number, that about 90 to 95% of the domestically produced wine comes from California. That's right. I mean, that's where wine comes from. It's the fourth largest wine growing region in the world. And the sixth largest economy, I might add. (laughs) And very green. So why is Washington picking on us? <laughs> we um, are very important here in California. I'm not sticking my nose up, but it's just important. We we make great wine here. That's that's what we do here, probably better than anything else that we do in California. Oh, I'm going to get some flack for that. It's an iconic product here for sure. You know, what's even fun is when you go onto a winery property, especially these days, you can see the respect for the land. You can see the respect for uh, the people that work there. I was just last night sharing a bottle of wine with uh, some friends that had come over, and it's a bottle that is made by a winery that has so much respect for their employees that this particular blend that they make, they take a a significant portion of the profits and they give it to their employees. They share it with them. Absolutely. It's amazing to me. Um, We just had our fourth green medal competition and selected the winners that will be announced at the end of this month and celebrated during Down to Earth Month in April. And just the generosity in both what they offer employees in terms of benefits, but also how they raise money for various efforts and, and the wildfires in Northern California. While a tragedy, it was amazing how the industry came together to support the community because the industry wasn't necessarily impacted as significantly as those who lost their homes. And we we were fortunate that most of the grapes were in and and most of the wineries were left intact in the vineyards. And sometimes, in many cases, were acting as firewalls. Still, their communities were tremendously impacted. And so they really came together to help raise funds. We're talking to Allison Jordan. She's the vice president of environmental affairs for the Wine Institute here in California, represents nearly a thousand California wineries, and you can bet that represents the bulk of the wine that you drink that's made here in California. And we're talking about a, a new program, which is a logo that will appear on the bottles of wine that you drink that are made by uh, certified sustainable wineries uh, using these uh, very conscientious uh, growing practices. And not just growing practices, but the practices in how they conduct their business. We'll continue with Allison in just a second. We'll talk more about it here on Grape Encounters Radio. Thanks for staying with us. At no time were any animals harmed during the making of today's show. However, countless grapes were crushed and mutilated. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. 
Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then, I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get yours shipped right away at mmorganics.com. Did you know that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California? We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. Back with Grape Encounters Radio and a very special guest. She's really important when it comes to the wine business, although she wouldn't tell you that, but she's also very humble. It's Allison Jordan, the Vice President of Environmental Affairs for the Wine Institute. And we're talking about the whole subject of sustainability. We are uh, just days away from April, which is Down to Earth Month in California. And this is where we really celebrate sustainability practices and all things that are good for the environment and good for your health that ensure the quality of the wine that you drink. Allison, we're talking about the logo that's going to be on bottles. Do any of the bottles carry the logo right now or are we just getting to that point? There are a couple available already in the marketplace and others are going to be released soon. As you mentioned, it's the 27 vintage that will be the first ones to carry it. So it really just depends on how long the wineries are holding onto the wines before they make those available. So even some 2017 vintage wines won't be out for a couple of years. We do have at least five or six wineries that are getting ready to release those anytime now. Can you spill the beans? You know, a couple of them are, are happy with us sharing that. Um, Jackson Family Wines that you talked about earlier is one of them. When 
Ponte, based in Livermore. The family winery has been very committed to sustainability over the years as well. Man, if you just talk about Jackson Family Wines and Wente, I mean, these are two really big producers. At least at this count, we have about 250,000 wine cases that are going to be burying the local for the 2017 vintage. So that's only going to grow. We know about a number of wineries that are considering it for the 2018 vintage. The Jackson Family Wines really um, amaze me because they produce so much wine and yet they do it in such a conscientious way. It's just amazing to me that you could make make that much wine and and not cut corners. They're so committed. They even put out um, a sustainability report that really dives into the details of their own commitment and and priorities. So they're just an example of not only are they going to the step of getting certified, but also just being very transparent in what they're doing in terms of sustainable practices. You know, there's one thing that if you talk to, you know, really, really super conscientious grape growers and winemakers, there's one thing that they always say, and, and I've heard this so many times from so many people, they say, our goal is to leave this land better than it was than we started. That's exactly the sentiment you hear so often about generational farming as being sort of the underpinning of why they do what they do. It's this idea that you're leaving all of the resources for future generations to be able to use so we can continue to make great wines and grow high-quality wine grapes. For starters, a lot of these families, like the Jackson family, they started as small operations and now they're really huge. One of the things is, is that even when a big company buys a smaller family operation, you'll notice, generally speaking, that they like to keep the people who worked there in place. They like to promote and even build upon the conscientiousness with which the wines were produced. Right, there's value in the winery. That's why they're buying it. Exactly, yeah. So sometimes when I cringe, when I see that a smaller winery has been purchased by a larger company, I have to remind myself that, generally speaking, these larger companies will actually come in and inject capital that will allow them to do their job even better. I was just thinking when you mentioned Gallo, there are also, while very large, also a family operation that is thinking generationally. And I know when they go and purchase winery, there's still that commitment to the quality of the wine being produced and to the sustainable practices that have been employed. And I do think there often is this idea that families want to pass their businesses on to future generations. And that is very true. But sometimes there aren't future generations that want to be in the business or to pass them on to. So it's fair for them to want to sell a viable business to another company as their retirement strategy. So there's often stories that I think help counter the idea that small wineries are being purchased. I was talking to a a winemaker, I guess probably two or three months ago, and he was like maybe the third generation to be making wine in his family. But he said that this would be the last generation because his kids did not want to continue in the wine business. And, you know, my first response was obvious. How can you adopt me? Uh, But uh, (laughs) Exactly. I know it's easy for us to say, but it's a really challenging business. And yet it's so it's so wonderful when you talk to fourth generation wine growers that yeah. are now making wine and I'm really committed to ensuring that their next generation and the generations that follow are going to be able to do it. So I think there's such diversity. There's now 4,700 bonded wineries in California. And wow. so it's one of those things where you can think of any type of operation, you would probably find it. But it's just remarkable to me, again, that sort of wide adoption of practices that we're able to share in our regular sustainability reports, in our new certification report that's going to come out annually. And just 
to see what these folks are doing on the ground. Here's a really important factoid, I think, for anybody who is a wine lover. There was a time not so long ago when we weren't making as much wine as we are that we used shortcuts like an overuse of pesticides and not using irrigation properly and a lot of different things. A lot of these big companies like Gallo were the pioneers who had the money, the capital to develop the techniques to make vineyards much more sustainable and instead of squandering the money on excesses, they actually put it into figuring out how we could make cleaner, better quality wine and actually improve the environment, not harm the environment. So amazing to me. I'm just celebrating the 15th anniversary of publishing the first code of sustainable wine growing, sort of the centerpiece of both our educational program and our certification program. And just thinking there were the people that you mentioned that did a lot of work in the University of California system, some really innovative growers and wineries, and then really willing to pull together that information in first the Lodi Viticulture Workbook, which was the basis for our program and a number of the regional programs that we drew from to have our statewide California Sustainable Wine Growing Program. It's just amazing to me how much people are willing to share that peer-to-peer exchange of information and then what we've been able to build to help disseminate that information to thousands of growers and wineries all across the state. Allison, we are, as they say, out of time. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Allison Jordan, she's a very important cog in the Wine Institute and I, I should really say the Wine Industry Wheel, Vice President of Environmental Affairs for Wine Institute, and is doing some amazing things and has been behind some of these very special programs that are making wine better and more environmentally conscientious at the same time. So thank you very much, Allison. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, David. And sustainablewinegrowing.org is a really great place to find the latest information and more about the program. Start looking for that logo. It will be your assurance of really exceptional practices from soup to nuts at the winery. Uh, here in California. Drink more California wine. Just drink more wine in general. What the heck, you know? <laughs> I agree. It's, these are tough times. Wine makes life happier, wouldn't you say, Allison? And parties classier. Oh, that's it. You tied it all together. We'll be back here next week with more grape encounters. In the meantime, go find yourself some fine wine. Have a great time. Don't miss us next week. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.